You're listening to Broken Hearted with Althea Branton. Join me for unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. Instead of getting over heartbreak, move through it. Face your pain and see what happens next. Welcome to Broken Hearted. I'm Althea Branton, and I'm so glad you're here. Arian Smith is a survivor of 15 years of abuse, passionate entrepreneur and activist hoping to change the world for marginalized individuals. After having built a life he loves after his trauma, he founded the Prosperity Path Program, a course helping fellow survivors find joy in an inclusive and validating way. He also blogs each week to reach survivors around the world. He's also a watercolor artist, LGBTQ activist, dog lover, and currently lives with his fiancée and pup in New York. Trigger warning. Arian and I are going to have a conversation about surviving abuse. But it's a really important conversation and one where, after editing this conversation, I actually took notes because some of the points that he brings up just really hit home for me. And I hope they will for you as well. Enjoy. Arian, welcome to Brokenhearted. It is an honor to have this conversation with you today. I'm really like so happy to be here and I can't wait to talk about my work and, and everything and share it with your community. So thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Now for the folks out there, here is a trigger warning. We will be talking about a very sensitive subject. We're going to be talking about abuse and surviving abuse. Mm-hmm. You have been warned. Mm-hmm. And I say this with the utmost of love and the utmost of compassion and the utmost of understanding. We all have a story to tell. And we all have gone through some form of abuse. And abuse isn't just about scars and bruises and something that's visible. Abuse can also happen with the mind. It can happen with emotions. It can happen when somebody withholds your finances. Arian, what motivated you to start this work? So I, I myself am a survivor of abuse, and I know before I hopped on this podcast recording, we had talked a little bit about that, um, but I'll share it, uh, my brief history, my brief story for your, your listeners. Um, so I survived 15 years of uh, sexual abuse, mostly, as well as physical, emotional, you know, um, other components of abuse that happened as well. Um, so I was five years old when I remember it first starting, and then I was 20 when I, when I got away from it, um, from like the, my last abuser. Um, so excuse me, allergy season. <laughs> so I, uh, I survived 15 years of abuse and it was of course a traumatic, a horrible, uh, like life altering, you know, experience. And, um, when I like walked out of this situation, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I knew that I loved helping people. I knew I had always been a healer. I had always been, um, someone who just loved seeing people's lives affected by just a couple of words that you could say to them or, um, you know, some support that you could guide them towards or something like that. I was a residential advisor in college and that really showed me that like I love doing that sort of thing. And I was an RA while I was in a Title IX case against one of my abusers. So, you know, I was going through this traumatic situation and helping people. And I think that kept me alive, to be honest. Like I think at that time that was something that was so fulfilling and so meaningful. 
Um, and then my supervisor at that time, she, she said, she was like, you should be a life coach. And I'm like, what is that? So <laughs> I had no idea. Um, and I, I looked into it and I was a little skeptical. I have to say at first, I was like, I don't know, this seems kind of like pseudotherapy. Like, I'm not really sure what this is. But then I realized, you know, this is a, this is a way for people who have gone through experiences, people who have received certain trainings, people who have, you know, whatever path the, the individual coach takes, but people who have something to give and to instruct others with and can guide them towards some sort of goal that they have, whether that's a business coach or a life coach, or, you know, in my case, like a mental health and abuse coach or something like that. Um, so, so anyway, so I, I got into it. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go into this. At first I started focusing just on mental illness um, because like I had done a lot of like mental health advocacy and things of, of that sort. Um, but then I decided, okay, no, I want to shift this a little bit more because I don't know as much about, you know, some of the mental illnesses that are out there that are, biochemical and things like that. Like I know about trauma related mental illness and I know what it's like to survive abuse. And I know it's like to literally have a life that was abuse. Like that was all I knew for 15 years. So, you know, I had to reshape my life after not really knowing anything different. Um, so I, yeah, so I got into this. I kind of shifted my, my niche a little bit and, um, and started working just directly with survivors of abuse and I love it. <laughs> I've, um, I've reached like 50,000 people like so far. Um, so like a pretty big reaching community it's growing and i hope it grows even more um and you know i have a blog that i've run for like two and a half years now um and you know facebook pages and things like that as well that yeah that i do to reach reach out to other survivors so that's what got me into it was surviving that abuse and realizing that i loved helping people well and here you are mm -hmm. and if all of you could see the glow on Arian's face, the massive smile, the dimples for days. <laughs> I love my dimples. <laughs> <laughs> when you, you talk about your story and you talk about the abuse that you've gone through, for so many people out there, and this is why we're having this conversation today, because it's important for us to have a conversation about it. For so many, you have, you went through the abuse and then then there's that huge question. Mm -hmm. And then what? What yeah. does my life look like now that I have been able to free myself from this situation? Yeah. Yeah. And that was a wild experience because um, while well, I was in college, I actually dropped out of college. Um, it was just too traumatizing to finish the last year and a half after one of my abusers had, you know, been on campus with me. And it was a small school, so it wasn't like I could, you know, avoid parts of the campus. It was like, I went to the same classrooms we were in and we shared classes and stuff during the Title IX investigation and things like that. Mm. So, um, so anyway, so I, I left college. So then there was also that question of like, what do I do career-wise? I was fortunate I was studying to be an illustrator. So it wasn't like a doctor or something where I needed a degree in order to do. Mm. Um, so I, I still kept doing some art, but I was also burnt out and exhausted at that point. Um, so I kind of bounced between trying to get part-time jobs, but then due to both like a chronic physical illness that was obviously also flaring because of the stress that I was under because of the trauma. Um, I, you know, I kind of bounced between part-time jobs and then realized like, no, I couldn't even work 20 hours a week. So like, let alone to pay my bills and stuff. So I kind of had to do entrepreneurship. I did some intuitive work and some things like that, that I'd always had a knack for and just kind of like barely scraped by, you know, I was on food stamps. I was, um, I, I was living in my own apartment. So I was fortunate enough to have my own apartment um, that I found. I found one that was, it was really nice. It was just big enough. Um, but, you know, I, I needed support and stuff. I needed utility support. I needed like 
food stamps, all, all those sort of things. And, you know, I'm grateful that those programs were out there. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really intense and I had no idea what I was doing. And I kept trying to figure out, you know, what is my dream? What do I want to do? And I knew I wanted to help people, but, and I kind of bounced around with clarity. I kind of was like, oh, like, you know, maybe I want to help people in this way. And then I was like, oh, it's too exhausting. I can't sustain that. Or like, I want to help people in this way. Or, you know, uh, just, just various other things that I was like, I don't know exactly what I want to do. And I think a lot of that was because I hadn't really accepted where I was at first. You know, I hadn't accepted the fact that like, I was just, you know, I, I mean, abuse, I think, shatters you. I think it, it totally tears you down and you need to rebuild yourself, but you need to build that foundation first. And I think that that foundation is acceptance of where I was and then empowering myself through choice, realizing I can make choices every day, whether that's getting a tea or a coffee, not that I can afford that at a time, but, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but it's that sort of idea of like, okay, am I going to eat this or this? Or am I going to, like, I'm deciding to walk outside right now. I'm deciding to go to therapy. I'm deciding to do this, to do that. I'm deciding not to do this, not to do that. And realizing those two things, accepting where I was and learning that I was empowering myself every single second through the choices that I could make that I could finally make for myself. Like no one was making choices about my body and, you know, myself be, besides me. Like it was, it was finally my control over my life, um, not my abusers. And that I, I had to come to terms with that because I had no idea what to do with that at first. You know, I had never had that level of control in my life. Like most people grow up, like people who aren't survivors, um, tend to grow up and you learn over time, like in school and stuff like that, you learn that you have the ability to make choices. Maybe you go out and you get drunk when you're 17, you know, maybe you don't yeah. make the best choices. <laughs> and like, and that sort of thing, but you have the ability to make choices. But people who have survived such long-term and pervasive trauma, um, like I did and like so many others have, didn't have that ability to make those choices. You know, like we had choices made for us. And so I needed to learn first and foremost, what it was like to even make choices about my life before I could even imagine coming up with what my dreams were and where I really wanted to go and what even like joy and happiness and a good life meant for me. Mm -hmm. So coming out of the situation, you almost had to, you not only did you have to rebuild yourself, mm -hmm. but also rebuild what your world would even look like. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, and I, really I, have that ability to define, I mean, because if your world is being defined for you, your choices are being defined for you. Then all of a sudden you're able like, oh my God, I can choose mm -hmm. to walk down the street and not receive any repercussions for my actions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That must be huge. Aaron. Yeah, it was huge and it was terrifying. I think that's the thing that a lot of survivors overlook. And um, my work, you know, like the work that I do is very optimistic. It's very positive focused, but it's realistic. And I talk a lot about fear. I talk a lot about... Um, the things that survivors struggle to accept and struggle to come to terms with. And I think a lot of the very positive things that happen in our life after we get out of abuse is some of the hardest stuff to come to terms with is the fact that like we now have responsibility for our choices and we didn't even know how to make choices before because we literally had to give up our ability to make choices to survive. You know, like in that moment, whether it was a brief trauma where we still lost our ability to make choices and that shattering and in that itself, or if it's like someone in my case where it was most of the child and adulthood, that there was just abuse, then it's, how do I make choices again? You know, how do I do this? And that's scary. And I want to validate that because I think that if we don't validate that, then we're scrambling around and people are telling us, oh, you, you're at fault for that. Or, or we start to feel like we're blaming ourselves and we start to feel like we should punish ourselves and things like that, rather than recognizing like, wait, no, I have choice right now. I'm scared of the choices that I can make because I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like I've never done this before. And it's like anything new. It's just like, um, 
you know, like I'm, we're, I'm doing, we just talked about this. I'm doing some website coding stuff right now. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? And it's just like that. Like, it's just, yeah. it's the same sort of thing. It's a new skill. It's just that survivors have to learn the skill of making choices for themselves because we didn't have the opportunity to learn that skill previously. And I think that that is so important. Um, it is like incredibly important because so much of our life and the way that our life is shaped and the way things progress is a result of the choices that we make mm -hmm. and also taking responsibility for our actions. Now, you had mentioned that you had done some healing work and I know in the spiritual space right now, there's a sentiment of, which this burns my cookies, I'm just putting this out there right now. <laughs> this whole notion of, oh, this bad thing that happened to you is your fault because you weren't vibrating at a certain level or you weren't manifesting enough or you weren't in alignment with yeah. the Aries fairies and unicorns and cupcakes and no shade on cupcakes that's we love them but yeah. either way in in these cases like this when you when you come out of a situation like this and then all of a sudden you have to learn how to make your own choice mm -hmm. but choosing to feel things how about mm -hmm. What happens when now you're faced with this overwhelming ability to make a choice for your life? But what happens when you get triggered from the experiences that you had? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What happens yeah. in, in that scenario? Do you choose happiness, choose positivity, or mm -hmm. do you allow yourself to just feel that trigger? Because I'm sure, you know, when you're fresh out of it, it's going to come up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it still does for me. Like I still have flashbacks. I still have triggers and stuff. And like, I consider my life to be a very joyous one, but it's not PTSD free. <laughs> like I still have PTSD. I still have a service dog in training for my PTSD that I'm raising. And you know, like that, that's something, you know, just to acknowledge that like, I might say that I have a joyous life, but that doesn't mean that I'm without impacts of my trauma. Um, and I think that that's really important because we like, we'll always have trauma being something that impacted us and our story you know like i don't believe that trauma defines us but i do believe that it's a major part of our story and it's supposed to be like not that we were destined to that's not what i'm referring to there but yeah. the idea of okay it's you know we had this happen to us it's okay to validate that that will impact us and that that has changed how we view the world and I think that that's totally okay. I don't think we need to go back to who we were before the trauma happened or anything like that. For me, I was kind of like, well, who, well, I mean, I was four, like, you know, so I was like, I, I'm not going to go back to being a four-year-old. Like, yeah, obviously. You know, um, but some people have, you know, like one instance of trauma, like a sexual assault or something like that, where it's like, mm -hmm. there is that idea of like, oh, I should just go back to who I was before. And it's like, no, your story has changed. You've had something major happen in your story and now you get to rewrite things again. Um, so when it comes to like empowerment and choice and all these sort of things, it's, it's terrifying, like I said, because we've not, we don't only, or we don't just have the ability to make choices and that's new for us, but we also all of a sudden realize how many choices we have to make. Because like to survive a day on this planet, we make thousands of choices. And, you know, some of those choices we could make even when we were, you know, in an abusive situation, because obviously, you know, we could still choose like, oh, I'm going to sit up from this chair or something like that. Mm -hmm. Some small choices. But the amount of major decisions we make every day is a lot. Like we don't even think about half of the decisions that we make. But we do when we're fresh out of trauma, when we are suddenly confronted with the fact that that's our choice now, you know, us like going to the grocery store or, you know, our financial situation or, how our emotions are validated or how we treat the beliefs that we hold 
um, you know, all of these sort of things, our safety, you know, all of those sort of things are now in our hands to control. And I think that is scary in and of itself too. And then there's that added factor of we are going to be triggered. We are going to have flashbacks and stuff where we may feel like we're reliving the abuse. So, you know, I, I had one of the things I had happen a lot was I would do something that was empowering, um, like reclaiming my sexuality in some way, you know, or something like that, like, you know, starting to explore myself in a very pleasant, like loving way, which was something I never had before. And then it would cause a serious flashback and I would feel like I was being punished for it. And, you know, that was because that was the mechanism that my brain knew was like, oh, if I did something loving towards myself and towards my body, then I deserve to be abused or, I was going to be abused, you know, even if I didn't quite believe I deserved it, it, I thought it was going to happen. So instead of it actually happening, it was a flashback that happened, but it felt real. And that's a really scary thing too, is to recognize that part of empowerment as a survivor of abuse is not just learning that you can make choices, but choosing to make those choices despite the ways that it may bring stuff up for you. So choosing to do things that are self-loving that might be extra scary because you feel like you'll be punished for it. Like setting boundaries is a perfect example of this. It's terrifying for us survivors to set boundaries after abuse because we're afraid of being literally hurt, you know, whether that's emotionally abused or physically abused or sexually or whatever. Um, it's just that idea of we're afraid of being hurt if we stand up for ourselves. So it's so scary to set boundaries after abuse. And I think that that's such an important thing to address just because we have to make the choice to do something that's terrifying and self-loving after abuse. And that's, that's a whole separate you know, idea about empowerment. It's just the fact that, okay, I'm scared to do this and I'm going to do it anyways. You know, and acknowledging that and getting to that place of courage. And I think that that's you know, one of the things that radically transformed my life and something I teach all of my clients and you know, in my program and stuff that, that's coming up. Um, or we'll probably be out by the time that this, uh, this podcast published. But, um, but you know, that's, that's one of the core pieces of, of my work. Yeah. Do you feel, as an abuse survivor, mm-hmm. kind of going out into the world and literally making your way from nothing, mm-hmm. did you feel that it was, it was a kind of difficult to make your way into the world? Did you, did you come across or come up against societal norms or teachings or conditioning that really didn't kind of help you along the way? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, For sure. I mean, I still feel like the world isn't built for me and other survivors. Um, And, you know, I'm also physically disabled, like I'm a cane user. So I come across ableism in that sort of way as well. Um, But yeah, oh yeah, the world is not, (laughs) is not very supportive all the time. I'm fortunate, like I have a wonderful yoga studio that I go to um, and a lot of yoga, well, Actual yoga philosophies are great, but the way that it's been appropriated and taken into Western culture. That has been, is a whole, <laughs> that's a whole different other conversation. conversation. Wow. Yes. And but, maybe uh, the subject of another podcast episode. Right. <laughs> putting it out there. <laughs> right. But, you know, my, my point, you know, tying it back to this conversation is that it's been changed in terms of Western culture where it is like, oh, you know, it's karma that caused you to, to be abused or, you know, mm. it's your destiny or you're put on this earth to be hurt so that you can help others and all of yes. this, like, that we incarnated, we, we are star children that chose this, this path yeah. Of, yeah. of discord and harm. Yeah. Like we consciously chose it because for a higher purpose. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, we can make a higher purpose out of what happened to us. I totally believe in that. And I think that mm-hmm. we can choose 
to like, I, I feel like I have chosen, you know, to change my destiny to be something that is helping other survivors because I survived abuse. But it's not that I chose to go through that abuse so that I could do this. It's just that I decided to do this afterwards. Um, I'm a big believer in free will, um, which is something that a lot of spirituality as well as like victim blaming and stuff doesn't account for, you know, is the idea that the person who hurt us, it was their free will. You know, they chose, they had the ability to make choices and those choices impacted our life in a very horrible way. And that's what I believe. You know, I think that I do believe that the universe is a benevolent force and it guides us and it's beautiful and it's loving. Um, but I also think it gave every single person free will. And I think that some people don't use that free will for good. I think some people use that free will and it impacts other people. And I feel like every tragedy can be traced to free will in some sort of way. Um, you know, not often the person who is affected's free will, you know, it's often someone else that impacted their life. And Absolutely. that's what I believe in as far as, you know, as far as, um, you know, what we were talking about earlier with, with the like, oh, it's your fault. And like, yeah, that exactly. kind of stuff. So. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, to harm another person is a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a conscious choice. You yeah. made a conscious choice to inflict, insert here, whatever, to someone else. It is a conscious yeah. choice. Yeah. And yeah. I, I totally believe that. And the more, I think collectively, if we start accepting responsibility for yeah. our choices mm -hmm. and our actions mm -hmm. and understanding that our choices and our actions have consequences. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's another thing going back to empowerment and choice and why that's so scary for survivors is that the example of people who made choices in our life were people who hurt us. So I think that we also fear making choices that will hurt someone else. Yes. And the hard thing is that like some of our choices will hurt other people, you know, because there are times that we do things with good intentions and we hurt others. And obviously it's not abuse, you know, it's nothing like that. That's just a mistake, you know, mm -hmm. that happens. No, I, I totally hear you. Yeah. But, um, but the thing is that, you know, our role models for choice, even though they weren't actually role models, but like the people that we learned what choice meant from were people who used their choice to abuse people. So mm -hmm. we think, oh, if I start taking choice into my own life, if I start acting on my ability to choose my free will, then I'm going to be like that person because that's all that I know mm -hmm. about what choice means. And I think that we have to unlearn that. You know, we have to, we have to learn the fact that, um, well, we have to accept the fact that that's what they chose to do with their choice. Not accept, and accept, I don't mean being okay with the fact that that's what they chose. You know, I never think that we have to forgive our abuser or be okay with the fact that those things happen to us. But acceptance is just saying, okay, this was their reality and I can't change that. That's what acceptance is. So we need to acknowledge and say, okay, they chose to use their free will in that way. That isn't me. You know, I now get to choose how I use my free will. I get to choose my own choices in a way. If that makes sense. Now you said a, a really interesting word just now, mm -hmm. forgiveness. Yeah. Because <laughs> again, in the spiritual space, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, there's stories of the woman who lost her child, who was shot, forgave that person who killed their child, or somebody forgave the person who assaulted them. You just said forgiveness doesn't always mean something. So tell me about that. I'm, yeah. I'm super curious about that because yeah. in my mind, at least for what I know is forgiveness mm -hmm. and forgiveness is something that is for you. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do yeah. with the other person. 
You know, yeah. I've seen people, they write letters to people who have inflicted them harm. They mm-hmm. record whatever, but something that takes it out of them, takes that anger out, gets it out, and then they can release it. Yeah. So I think there's only one type of forgiveness that's essential for every survivor to pursue, and that's forgiveness towards reality, is the idea of we had a reality happen to us. We had a situation that we can't change. You know, it was horrible. It was unfair. It was unjust. Like it was an act of injustice. Um, but we need to forgive the fact that that has happened. So not forgiving what happened or who did it, but rather just saying, okay, I'm going to accept the fact that this happened. You know, I can still feel that it's unfair. I can still acknowledge that it's unfair, you know, and everything like that. And I don't need to forgive the person or the situation that happened. But I need to simply say, I'm here today, this happened to me, and I can't change the fact that that happened. And I think that that is a form of forgiveness. And I think that that's a form of forgiveness that's essential for every survivor to have. Because we really can't, um, I don't want to say like move past, but I want to say um, expand beyond, you know, like, like that sort of idea. If we can't, like we are going to feel defined by our trauma if we can't forgive the reality that it happened. You know, if we can't say, okay, this happened and now what? You know, so it's that kind of idea of yes. forgiveness just gives us a pause. It gives us a second to say, okay, this happened. You kind of encapsulate in a little bit of light and you say, this happened. This is going to affect me. This is part of my story now. You know, and it's, it's horrible. It's wrong. It, this shouldn't have happened. You know, those are all fine things to, to say and to feel and to experience. Um, but it's also like, okay, but it did happen. So, and now what? You know, and I think that that's where that acceptance turns into empowerment. So it's acceptance is that this did happen. The empowerment is, and now what? And learning that. Um, so the forgiveness yeah. is not about the individual yeah. who inflicted the harm. It's mm-hmm. not about the situation. It's taking a few steps back from it mm-hmm. and seeing it through a different perspective as, okay, this event occurred mm-hmm. as an entity. And I'm going to forgive the fact that this event occurred. I'm going to choose to accept that this happened to me. Yeah. And that I can't change that. I think that's the biggest thing is just acccepting mm-hmm. the fact that we can't change it. And that's hard because we want to be able to change it because we Absolutely. hate how it affects us. You know? Absolutely. Is- I mean, who wouldn't want to, right? Exactly. Right. Like if we could like snap back and be like, yeah, I wish I was never abused. And if, if we could wish that and that would happen, I think we would all, but um, well, maybe not me because I like my work now, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I totally hear you. Definitely would have in the past. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's, it's that sort of thing where it's, it's, yeah, it's not forgiving the person who did it or the fact, you know, um, or like the act itself, you know, that sort of thing. It's just, mm-hmm. just saying, okay, I'm going to acknowledge that this happened and I can't change it. And I'm going to be okay with that fact, the fact that it happened and I can't change it. That's what we learned to be okay with. I love this definition of forgiveness for so many reasons, because I believe that this definition of forgiveness can transcend not just survivors of abuse, but for people who have lost someone close to them or have lost a job or for any, anything, any kind of loss Mm -hmm. by taking a step back and accepting, for example, um, I lost my brother almost a year ago today. Thank you. So if I can take a step back and say, I acknowledge that he's gone, Mm -hmm. that he's no longer with us. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. 
But here I am today, almost a year later, mm-hmm. and I've answered that question, and then what? Because I think that's a crucial question. Yeah, yeah. That's and a really, a really critical question. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a massive question. Uh-huh. It's a question that could make you pee a little, let's be real. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? But I've come to the point where I have answered, and then what? Yeah. So I love, love, love that concept of forgiveness. I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's one that we can all start to use in all mm-hmm. facets of our life. And I love that yeah. if you have gone through the traumatic experience, this brings back your power. It calls yeah. it back to you. Because yeah. now as I'm, I'm sitting here and kind of processing this, Forgiving that one individual person or persons or whatever happened, it gives them power. Yeah, yeah, because it's saying, oh, I need to do something for you in order to get my power back, which is not true. It's we need to do something solely for us. And if you find it empowering to forgive your abuser, like if you think that that will feel self-loving, that that will feel liberating, I'm all for that. Like I, I would never tell a survivor not to forgive someone if that's was healing for them, mm-hmm. but there's never the obligation to. And I think that that's what's really clear is that that's not where forgiveness should be focused first as well. Mm-hmm. So I also think that, you know, you can forgive your abuser as many times as you want, but you won't feel free from that until you do this work of forgiving the fact that this happened, you know, and, and being in that, that state of this, is, this was a reality that happened to me and I can accept the fact that that happened. Um, that has to come before any sort of liberation happens. And like you said, acceptance is empowering. And I'm a huge, you know, that's like one of my biggest mantras is like <laughs> acceptance is empowering. And I think a lot of people think acceptance is giving up our control, is saying like, oh gosh, I have to admit to myself that I can't change this. And that's true, but you don't really have how much power you get as soon as you do that. So like as soon as you realize, because the fact is if you're resisting or accepting something, the fact that you can't change that situation is not going to change. (laughs) You know, you can be resisting it and you still can't change it. You can be accepting it and you still can't change it. So it's it's just massive, massive, massive liberation. Yes. Right. When Mm -hmm. you no longer feel weighed down Mm -hmm. or obligated, that's also super heavy too, or feeling like you have to fix this yeah, or you have to make some kind of reparation for what happened to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What yeah. it's about now is answering that billion dollar Bitcoin question. Yeah. And then what? Yeah. And that, and then what is something that can be a large thing as in, and then what, what do I do with my life as a whole? But it can also be a small thing of like, and then what I'm experiencing this flashback right now. What do I do with it? You know, and that's what this acceptance does is that it gives you the power to ask and then what for every small and large question that you have. Because, you know, we will have times where it feels like we're back in the trauma. And like, I still have emotional flashbacks today. And I definitely will still have times where, um, where I will feel like I'm reliving what happened. And, you know, I'll need to remember like, okay, this is an experience that I'm having and it's scary and I will fully feel it. And it will 100% feel like I'm back there. And I can't change that fact because that's how my symptom is, is demonstrating itself. But I have done things that have empowered myself around it, that around that limitation, around that horrible experience, I can make choices about it. Whether that's, okay, I wait for it to pass. I know that I'm not going to do anything to hurt myself in it anymore because I've worked through that sort of stuff. And I can wait for it to pass and then do some self-care. You know, that's how I empower myself, for example, in that situation. So when the flashbacks come then, you just mm-hmm. allow them to come. You don't put up any resistance to them. 
Yeah, I don't put it resistance, but I do want to acknowledge one thing. So I don't resist the fact that it's happening, but I also don't fail to take action, if that makes sense. Mm. So, so basically, acceptance is not saying, oh, I'm just going to sit here and let this happen to me. It's saying, I'm going to accept the fact that this is happening and do something about it, if I can. So it's that kind of thing that like some flashbacks, I can do as much grounding and self-care as I want during the flashback and it's not going to change. You know, like I'm just like, oh gosh. So then I sit back and I'm like, okay, let this just pass. I'm just going to accept this while it's here and, you know, do the best I can with that because it's never perfect, but do the best I can with that. And then I'm going to handle myself after it. I'm going to take care of myself after. But sometimes, you know, it's okay. I'm in a flashback. I got triggered, you know, something like that. And I can do some grounding exercises and I feel better. You know, I can stop that flashback. Um, or for instance, like a long-term decision I'm making is I'm training my service dog to be able to interrupt flashbacks. So, you know, I can have that sort of thing where she's trained because I did that work previous and she'll be able to help me snap out of it. Again, not guaranteed, but it's that sort of idea. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, so that's a really important thing is that I, yeah, I don't resist it. I don't resist the fact that it's happening, but I also look for actions that I might be able to take. I just acknowledge that I can't actually change what's happening in that moment. I just look for how can I maybe change what comes in the next moment? If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious to know, mm -hmm. Arian, about survivors and their support systems. Mm -hmm. How, so if you have been in this situation where you have been abused and now all of a sudden you're, you have been freed from it, you're no mm -hmm. longer in the situation, how important is that support system? Can you, are you in that mindset? My first, when I'm thinking of this question, my first answer is no, but what I want to know is, is how, how do you begin to repair relationships with others to get yourself that support? Yeah, so, so that's a really um, good question and interesting question. So when I went through, when I finally got away from all of my abusers, um, I had a very small support system. I had a couple of people that I was friends with, but, you know, I wasn't really close to, like, where I could maybe call on them if I was, if I was a little stressed. But, like, for the most part, you know, the people that I was close friends with, had walked away due to victim blaming. Like they had taken my abuser's side very literally. And like, you know, they, they acknowledged that they had witnessed, you know, sexual assaults and stuff happen and they helped me actually win my case, but they also didn't want to be friends with me and they stayed friends with the abuser. So I was like, whatever, like, that's weird. Like, I don't understand. It's a choice. Human, but yeah, exactly. That's their choice. That's their free will. But, um, but anyway, so I had a very, very small support system. And at the time, you know, I've grown a lot closer to like my family. My parents were not my abusers. So um, so I was like, you know, I'm fortunate in that way. Um, so I grew closer to them and stuff. But at first it was, you know, them kind of teaching them how to even act around a survivor of abuse. <laughs> you know, that sort of idea of like, how do you handle your child who's, who's been abused? And, you know, that kind of thing. And of course there was therapy, which I think is an invaluable resource because that is automatically a way that you can talk about what you're going through and get some help, you know, no matter what, like, and you don't need to feel guilty about it. And I think that's really important because like, I'm pretty sure every single survivor of abuse feels guilty leaning on other people right after. Um, and like, I still experience that sometimes today, much, much, much less, but I do sometimes. And so I think that there's that idea. And I guess my, my overall thoughts is that to find a support system is about being vulnerable with people and taking that leap. That goes back to that empowerment is doing something that you fear and saying, okay, yeah, I might, you know, cause someone to hurt a little bit by sharing my own story. You're not doing anything wrong by sharing your own story, but it could bring up something in someone else. And that could cause some hurt in them as well. And that can be scary because we can feel like our abusers in that sort of situation. You're not. And the thing is to recognize being vulnerable is going to always be something 
That's terrifying. I love Brene Brown's work on this. So like I, I literally forward all of my clients to Brene Brown and like read about her stuff on vulnerability and connecting with people because it will change your life. Um, so everyone listening to this, you should definitely check out Brene Brown if you haven't already. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Uh, but you know, it's, it's that idea of like be vulnerable with people and you know, open up and don't be afraid to recognize that someone isn't able to show up for you because there are people who will be able to show up for you in your crises. You know, there are people who will be able to say, you know, I, I care enough about you that even though the situation is horrible, even though maybe you just self-harmed or did something like, you know, maybe you even attempted suicide, right? There will be people in your support system, as long as you're trying to build that support system, who will want to show up for you. And if you don't have very many people, just continue to try to build them. I really recommend actually going back and seeing what old connections you can try to rekindle because there are probably people who, you know, you knew back in, you know, college or in high school or, you know, depending on your age, what, whatever it is, you know, just that you knew a while back that might now be great resources. Like that's actually how I ended up engaged to my fiance is that she's, she was a high school friend that I had um, before I went to college and stuff. And, you know, I, I didn't have very strong memories of abuse in, in high school. So she didn't know that any of that had happened to me. Um, I had kind of like repressed it as it was happening. Um, so anyway, so, but now we're engaged. We've been together for over two years and, and we're engaged now. So, um, so I think that that's a really beautiful way that we can find support as well. Um, as well as meeting up with other survivors. Sometimes I do want to caution people though, that sometimes that can be more triggering than it is helpful. So to be careful around that sort of thing. Um, one of the reasons that I love doing this work is because I actually run a Facebook group that is specifically for like survivors of abuse who are working towards this sort of healing. So it's optimistic in a way without being invalidating. So, you know, people provide support and it's, it's that idea of there's a lot of encouragement, there's a lot of strength in that group. And like, I really try to facilitate it to be that way, where it's not just people talking about their triggering experiences and their hardships and things like that. People did, someone just made a, a post about some grief about a miscarriage, you know, and that was really difficult, but people showed up and they were just like, hey, you know, I'm here for you, just feel what you're feeling, let this grief be a thing, like, you know, love yourself through this. People gave like advice and stuff like that. And it was just this beautiful you know, support system. And it's, right now, like as we're recording this, it's only I think 106 or 108 people in the group, but like, I love it, you know? And, and I think that that's what you need to look for is groups of people, groups of survivors that don't just talk about the heaviness of what they're going through, but are talking about the hope. And I think that that's what we really need to look for is where can we find some sort of hope? And we can often find that with survivors who maybe are a little farther along in our journey um, or, you know, people who, who like are struggling, you know, at the same level of us, but just have that sort of like hopeful vibe about them or someone who's gone through a trauma that wasn't like ours, but was traumatic in their own way, you know, and, and we kind of learn from their recovery and their healing as well. Or I'm a huge fan of like mental health support groups or um, addiction recovery as well. You know, I found a lot of support in those sort of groups. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like 12 step because I think there's a lot of shame that can build up, not dissing anyone who, who does find a resource in that. No That's shade. just not mine. Yeah. <laughs> That's just not my sort of thing. Um, but I really loved like smart recovery was a great resource for me and just realizing like how, you know, that could even go as, as far as like the ways that I like perpetuated abuse towards myself afterwards, you know, and treating that like an addiction and learning how to heal that. And, you know, just finding things that are basically focused on making progress or focused on hope, finding groups and people and conversations and connections that are focused on that, I think is where we build the support system that'll really help us. Arian, this has been an yeah. eye-opening and profound conversation. I'm so glad. Yeah, I really, I mean, I, I really want the recording of this after. <laughs> <laughs>
like, I gotta go through this. I'm like, two points in my belt. <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? And you say, you say something, you're like, wow, that was super insightful. That yeah, came right. out of my mouth. Yep. <laughs> no, I definitely I'm do that. so, so grateful yeah. for this conversation and grateful for you and your work. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Forgiveness towards reality. Arian mentioned that he was going to accept the fact that this has happened and he can't change the fact that the abuse has happened to him. And now he's going to expand beyond his circumstances. That's so incredibly powerful. And that's my biggest takeaway from this conversation, along with acceptance. You can accept what has happened to you. You can forgive the situation and which has happened to you. And that is where you start to begin to feel freedom. Learn more about Arian's incredible work at uncoveryourjoy.com and you can connect with him on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to start your journey towards joy, take the Prosperity Path quiz on his website and I'll include all of these links in the show notes. Join me next week for another episode of of Brokenhearted, where I'll have another conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. In the meantime, feel your pain and see what happens next. Follow me on Instagram at Althea Branton. Stay up to date with the latest news on Brokenhearted. Send me a DM. I'd love to chat.